to participate in this national day of mourning uh, over the horrible situation of abortion in our country. And um, I have to say that I didn't feel like I was just participating in another event today. Felt like it was something Um, historical. Um, I think also because I guess you could say I've been waiting, looking, trying to figure out, you know, with all this stuff with abortion, I mean, how, you know, what, what can we, what can we do? And I'm really way off topic. Maybe that's on purpose. Um, I've always hated it. I've never understood how in the world a civilized country could allow something as barbaric as killing their own children. I've had great respect <clears throat> for people like Flip Benham and now Michelle and Brandon and others that have gone out and marched and stood outside of abortion clinics uh, execution camps is all they really are, uh, and fought against abortion and churches and ministers will always quote the passage, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from the wicked way, then I will hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. <clears throat> and I've always had this tug in my heart, like, uh, have so much respect for you guys and others that have been doing what y'all are doing. But if we're ever going to be rid of this stain in our country, it won't come through standing out on a sidewalk. It won't come through legislation. It won't come through another, uh, President or Senate or House or anything else. What we're seeing is systemic from a cultural and moral decadence. The church lost its way a long time ago in being a place that would call people into holy living. And it has morphed into what it is today, which I hate to say it, but in most cases, if you go somewhere, you're going to hear nothing much more than a, uh, a self-help how-to message and a good dog and pony show. And uh, I've been gripped with fear on what our Heavenly Father really thinks about what we're doing. And so when this opportunity came up because Michelle said, hey, can we do this? I didn't even have to pray about it. A chance for us as a collective group to actually repent 
That's our only hope. And so we had a pretty much a full house today. And uh, there were other people, you know, around the country, nowhere near enough, but a lot of people around the country that were participating in live streaming like we were. It gave me a sense of hope and brokenness. Because I've said it for so long that the problem in our country lays at the door of the church. <clears throat> and it's true. And uh, if you really call that out, 99 out of 100 people are not going to want to hear it. And, but I'm looking at some very brave people. And you keep me going. But I won't lie and say that it hasn't been hard. It is hard. Um, and then we're in this passage in John chapter 5. <clears throat> and as I was studying this and thinking about today, what was going to be happening up here with this day of mourning event. And I have to really say that I got more out of the first 20 minutes of worship than I did the, all the speaking. I could have done without the speaking, quite honestly. Uh, because I was broken. I still am. It's like we don't know what we're doing. And we don't know how sick we are. And we're dealing with this passage. Because <laughs> in John chapter 5, it says that after this, there was this festival of the Yehudim, and Yeshua went up to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, at the Sheep Gate, there was a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, and had five porches. In these were lying a great number of those who were sick, blind, crippled, paralyzed, waiting for the stirring of the water. Verse 4, for a messenger was going down at a certain time into the pool and was stirring the water. Some verses say an angel Whoever stepped in first then after the stirring of the water became well of whatever disease he had. And there was a certain man that was there who had a sickness 38 years. 38 years he's lame. When Yeshua saw him lying there and knowing that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, you want to become well. <clears throat> I want to help you see something here because it says that a messenger or angel would go down at a certain time in the pool and stir the water and blah, blah, blah. Um, what's fascinating is that 
there is not a Greek manuscript found before A.D. 400 that has any of that in there. Doesn't exist. Most people believe that it was added by some scribe or whatever to try to explain what was going on. Uh, <clears throat> and what was really going on shouldn't strike us as too bizarre. Hold on one second. I don't know what that is. Um, <clears throat> they were filled with great superstition. And this was a superstition that they had. Um, but it wasn't... <clears throat> it wasn't real. Doesn't that even sound a little sadistic to think that God would send an angel down and stir the water and wait and see who could get in it first? But hey, it's in your Bible, right? So it's got to be true. Well, it's true that it's in your Bible. <laughs> Doesn't mean that it was true that that's what God was doing. And once again, this is where you get into a lot of struggles in trying to understand it, reading it just in your English and uh, not reading your Bible in context and chasing things down. So I, I just wanted you to be aware of that, that, uh, that this is a superstition that they had. It's this pool just outside of the temple area. <clears throat> and I want you to pay attention to the fact that this man had been there 38 years. You ever had your, you ever broke a bone and had your leg or arm or whatever in a cast? or any kind of injury, and it doesn't take long. I mean, it's days, and the muscles start to atrophy when you don't use them at all. I mean, it was hard enough to get up this afternoon or this evening after sitting there for four hours. Uh, <clears throat> like, you know, if you're riding a plane or a bus or whatever for a long period of time and you get up, you know, you got to stretch your leg. You imagine 38 years, 38 years. And evidently, this guy's been brought here on a regular basis. He literally says that. I've been trying. Waters get stirred. There's no one that'll put me in. Um, maybe even his own friends gave up. I mean, it's, dude, it's been 38 years. You still want me to take you down there? I mean, for crying out loud, it's getting kind of old. <clears throat> but they were basing all this on their superstition. So Yeshua says to him, so do you want to get well? Why would he ask him that? This is a place where people came to get healed based on superstition. They are his people in Jerusalem. This man's been coming there for 38 years. All of his muscles and his legs and stuff totally atrophied. Had to have been 38 years. So there's like no muscle tone, nothing. <clears throat> I believe this man is a picture of the Jewish people of the day and even of us. 
today. We just keep doing what we're doing, filled with all kinds of superstition. The creator of the universe shows up and he goes, so, you really want to get well? It's forcing him to admit his situation and what he's doing. It's superstition about him getting into the water. You got to be the first one in the water to get healed. We tracking with that? So Yeshua says, do you want to get well? You follow in verse 7. This is when he answers him. He goes, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water's stirred, but while I'm trying to come down, somebody else gets in in front of me. Somebody beats me to the punch and I can't get well. Been here 38 years. Look what Yeshua says in verse 8. So Yeshua said to him, rise and take your bed and walk. There is no expectation on Yeshua's part for any kind of faith, any kind of exercise of obedience, nothing. Pick up your bed and walk. Um, Yeshua heals him by the sheer word of his mouth in total defiance of what is about to happen, because this is also happening on the Sabbath, <clears throat> and in total defiance of all their dumb superstition in Jerusalem. It's got nothing to do with water. It's got nothing to do with anything else. I'm here. Pick up your bed and walk. And it says that immediately he did that. It says, and immediately the man became well. And he took up his bed and was walking. Now, it was on the Sabbath day. <laughs> I want you to listen to this. This is out of Isaiah 35, 1 through 7. You might want to jot that down in your notes. You'll have to put that in your lap since we don't have tables tonight. Art, art, art. <laughs> But Isaiah 35, 1 through 7, listen to what this says. This, in Isaiah, just so that you understand that this stuff is not, um, it shouldn't have been strange. Let the wilderness and the dry place be glad for them, and let the desert rejoice and blossom as the rose. The, it blossoms much and rejoices even with joy and singing, the esteem or glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the esteem or glory of Yahovah, the excellency of our Elohim, our God. So they're going to see the glory of God himself, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the weak knees. Who is this starting to sound like? Say to those with anxious heart, be strong, do not fear. See, your Elohim comes with vengeance, with the recompense of Elohim. He is coming to save you. Yeshua came to bring salvation, but also he demands respect. 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf opened. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing because water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert and the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water in the home for jackals where each lay grass with reeds and rushes. He's saying this is what's going to happen. Why? Because God's going to show up and the reason he's going to show up is to bring salvation when that happens you will see these things take place <clears throat> Yeshua shows up on the Sabbath they're filled with all their religious dumb superstition they're all laying around there they're trying to get down in the water whenever it would bubble up. There's all these kinds of reasons why people say that it was actually bubbling or stirring or moving. And then we human beings, as usual, we come up with our genius ideas on what is happening. So someone jumps in the water and maybe they start to feel better. It could be the placebo effect, adrenaline, who knows what. Could have even been timing. Could have even been demonic. So the stuff just keeps getting perpetuated. Yeshua just tells him, get up and walk. He gets up and walk just like the lame man that's described in this passage in Isaiah <clears throat> in defiance of their superstitions. And he doesn't do it with any kind of water or anything else. This is what's interesting about this story and what we're about to see because Yeshua also says something else that you go, what? What did he just say? Um, so let, let, me, let's, let me continue on just for a second here. So it was the Sabbath <clears throat> and this becomes a problem. So you might jot down also Mark chapter three, verse four. Uh, Yeshua is answering his critics and he said to them, is it right to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? And they wouldn't answer him. He says, but they remained silent. It's Mark 3 verse 4. You see, the Jews' rigid tradition, not the Old Testament, taught that if anyone carried anything from a public place to a private place on the Sabbath intentionally, he deserved death by stoning. In this case, the man who was healed was in danger of losing his life. That was their traditions and what they taught, not what the Old Testament taught. That's what they were teaching. <clears throat> so it was the Sabbath. This man's been there 38 years in total atrophy. Yeshua says, pick up your bed and walk. The man jumps up and picks up his bed and starts walking. Like, poof, perfect muscles. He picks up his palate. It's not a big one. And he starts walking. The Yehudim, which are those religious leaders, they said to him, 
the guy that had been healed. So they see this happening. They see him walking. They have to know he's been there 38 years. They're the people in charge. This is their house, okay? This is their stomping grounds. Think of it that way. It's not like this guy's a stranger. You following that? He gets up, he picks up his pallet. The first thing they say to him, what in the world are you doing, boy? Paul Henry paraphrased. It's not lawful for you to be doing that. They can't get past the fact that, the, that he's been healed by the Messiah, the King of Kings, the creator of the universe. They're stuck on one thing. Our laws, our stuff, our tradition, our beliefs, this is out of place. This isn't normal. Don't, you, you can't do that. It kind of reminds me of when I started telling people around here about the Torah being legitimate, and that's pretty much what I heard. It goes against what we think, and you can't do that. And it just still breaks my heart that when you tell people the simple truths of what Scripture actually says, most people are offended. It's, it's maddening. He came that you and I might have life and have it more abundantly. He came to bring us salvation for crying out loud. And yet we can't get off of us. We just can't get off of us. We can't. It's all about us. It's all about us. <laughs> The man didn't actually break any biblical Sabbath regulations. According to Jewish tradition, however, the man was violating a code that prohibited the carrying of an object from one domain into another. That's found in one of their sabbatical rules listed 7-2. And in this present case, his mat. Apparently, it was permissible to carry a bed within, with a person lying on it but not one that was empty. At this point, Jesus is accused not of violating the law himself, but inciting someone else to sin by issuing a command that would have caused that person to break the law. What law? Their laws. To this very day, on one of their Sabbath laws, if you're in your house, you can move your furniture around as much as you want all day long. You can rearrange your furniture. You can carry your couch upstairs, downstairs, and back and forth 20 times if you want. But if you carry it outside, you just broke the Sabbath. Mankind coming up with answers for God when there's not a problem. We are the problem when we constantly complicate the very simple word of God. So in verse 10, they challenge him and say, it's not lawful for you to be doing this. You see, if you don't understand this kind of stuff and you don't read your Bible in context, when you see it is not right for you or not lawful for you to take up your bed, we immediately think, well, I guess that's true in the Old Testament. That's what they're saying. No, they're saying it's not lawful according to their laws, not according to God's laws, but not according to their laws. 
So they tell him, it's not right for you to be doing this. It's unlawful for you to be carrying your bed. And look what he says to him. Not me, man. Dude, the guy that healed me, he said, pick up your bed and walk. I just did what he said because he made me well. Passing a buck. Isn't that amazing? Folks, this is why I think he asked this man, do you really want to get well? Really well? Because we're seeing something in his heart here that's pitiful. Nowhere in this story do we ever see one ounce of gratitude from this man. 38 years. Hey, he's just doing what he's told. He's just doing what he's told. It's all he's ever done. He's doing what he's told. Therefore, they asked him, well, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? That's in verse 12, verse 13. But the one who was healed didn't even know who it was. He didn't even know it was Yeshua. Didn't even know his name. For Yeshua had moved away and a crowd was being in that place. Well, yeah, there was a crowd there. Why? It was one of the feasts. Don't know exactly which one. I didn't want to get into that tonight. But it was one of the pilgrimage feasts. So it's either Passover Tabernacles or uh, Pentecost. It's one of those three. That's why everyone was there. So in verse 14, it says, So afterward, Yeshua found him in the holy place, right there in the temple area, in other words. And he said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more so that no worse matter befalls you. Excuse me? What did he just say? Sin no more so that no worse matter befalls you. Hmm. So, can sin cause illness? Actually, it can. Does it every time? No. Is all illness attributed to sin? No. Can it? Yes, but not always. See, there's where it gets a little confusing, right? Partly because we live in a sin-tainted, messed-up, decadent world that is still in the process of being redeemed. Until that time, there's going to be problems, sicknesses, illnesses, so on and so forth. Um, And if the Lord tarries, everyone in this room will eventually die one day. I don't think it's going to be that long, though. I really don't. Um, But he says, sin no more so that nothing else worse happens to you. So in other words, don't keep doing your garbage or something else worse might happen to you. Meaning, you need to straighten up, you need to repent, or there's another whipping coming. Why? To get your attention. But we don't listen. We don't listen. Um, gee, let me read this note to you. I got this out of one of the commentaries I read. Jesus' comment, sin no longer so that nothing worse happens to you, seems to apply that at least sometimes, and including in the case of this invalid, possibly, uh, the sickness may be the result of sin. And then there's a few verses. You can jot these down if you want. I'm not even going to read them for you, but it's in 1 Kings 13, 4. 1 Kings 13, 4. There's also 2 Kings 1, 
4, 2 Kings 1, 4, and also 2 Chronicles 16, 12. <clears throat> 2 Chronicles 16, 12. You'll find areas in Scripture where men do things wrong and sickness or problems befall them. There's also times in Scripture where things happen to them, but not because they sinned or anybody else sinned. Mephibosheth was part of Saul's family, <clears throat> and he was lame. The reason he was lame throughout his life was because when he was young, I think it was his mother that was running with him and fell, and his... A nurse, okay, because y'all just read, you just studied it, right? Which was interesting because I had run across it. So his nurse was running with him, fell, and basically it crushed his legs, his feet. And so his feet were messed up the rest of his life. <clears throat> was that his fault? Was that, it just happened. It just, one of those, it just happened. Um, there was also a case, and this one, you can jot this one down. <clears throat> and John, we'll get here eventually, but John chapter 9, verse 3. There's this guy that's sick. And they ask him, he was born blind, and they, the disciples ask him, was this man born blind because of his sin or the sins of his parents? And Yeshua was like, neither one. He says, um, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God, the works of Elohim, might be made manifest in him. In other words, God allowed it to happen knowing that Yeshua was going to be there, and he was born blind. Therefore, watch this, one of the messianic miracles. In other words, it's not by any kind of wizardry or medication or therapy or regeneration. If someone was born blind, no one could pray over them. They couldn't do any kind of incantation. They couldn't just call down the name of God. They couldn't do, he couldn't get healed by anybody other than the Messiah. Impossible for anybody to heal him other than God on earth. That's why that one is one of the messianic miracles, proving that he's the Messiah. <clears throat> Because it's one of those things where it's not a demonic issue. He was born that way. The same thing with someone who was born mute, born or born deaf or whatever. If they were born that way and Yeshua just speaks over them and they're healed, everybody's like, this guy's got to be the prophet. He's got to be the Messiah. It's got to be God on earth because other people were doing their stuff too. I don't know if you know that or not. They would call upon the name of Yahovah and all those other kind of stuff, and there would be miracles performed. Imagine that. You thought that only happened with the age of television. It's been going on since the beginning of time. And then they would get their followers, and they would tell people, well, you need to pray this way, and as a matter of fact, you should come to my school. Kid you not. Yes. And they would train people to do these certain things. Folks, when the scripture says there's nothing new under the sun, there's nothing new under the sun. We just have faster, better ways of doing it. But it's the same old garbage. Yet, <clears throat> sickness and death can be because of sin, as in the case where Paul states that many were taking the supper of the Lord in an unworthy manner, and some had become sick and even died because of it, found in Corinthians. 
He said, some of you guys are taking the supper of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Y'all need to stop this. Some of you guys have even gotten sick and some of you have died because of what you're doing. So, but the interesting thing is, here, here's what you have to keep in mind. You can't put God in a box. He's after us. He wants us to have a relationship with him no matter what happens. That's what he's after. So what's amazing about this story, it says, he's, <laughs> he says, you need to be careful so that something else worse doesn't happen to you. And then look what he does. He goes running right back to the Yehudim. I found out who it is. It's Yeshua. In one ear, out the other. Clueless. Absolutely clueless. You see, that's what happens when your eyes are fixated on yourself. You couldn't see truth if it hit you right square, right square in the face. That's the way he is because he's symptomatic of everybody else around there and especially the religious leaders. Because look at this. <clears throat> he went away, he tells the Yehudim, it was Yeshua that made him well. And it was because of this that the Yehudim decided they persecuted Yeshua and were seeking to kill him. Why? Because he was doing these healings on the Sabbath. Give a man life and they want to kill you for it. Speak out against abortion, they'll want to kill you for it. We had threats leveled against us that we need to be careful from anonymous <laughs> I don't know if it's because I'm 62 or what I don't think there's a devil that can walk on this earth that's going to scare me I know the God of all gods, the King of kings. His name's Yahovah, the creator of the universe. And he sent forth his son, Yeshua, God in the flesh, to die on the cross for my sin and your sin, to set this world straight. And even though right now it is spinning completely out of control, it is not out of his control. So I don't even mind that even going on record now through on the internet. So be it. If I have to lay down my life for my king, I'll do it. I'm sick and tired of his name being drug in the mud by people that claim to know him. Pastors going out and blessing abortion clinics for crying out loud. Ripping babies apart and going in there and telling people it's God's work. With this evil smile on their face. 
makes me want to throw up. My temper's getting shorter and shorter. I think the older I get, the more this stuff I see. I think God's putting a fire in my bones. I hope it's Him. I'm not putting up with it. Anytime I can speak out against it, I'm going to. But it doesn't make people happy. And at times it's uncomfortable. He goes out and he says, you know, Jesus did it. So they're going to persecute him even more and desire to kill him (laughs) because it was on the Sabbath. I've got three long passages. I'm just going to ask you to write them down. I'm not even going to read them because it talks about how that we should be keeping the Sabbath. There's a ton of them, but it's in Exodus 31, 12 through 17. I'm just going to ask you guys to go back and read these later. Really challenging us to guard the Sabbath. Exodus 31, 12 through 17. Also in Jeremiah 17, 21 through 27. Imagine that in Jeremiah, and he's telling us that we need to diligently obey God and keep the Sabbath and not take a burden out of our houses. Imagine that. He's basically saying don't do your own work and pursue your own thing on the Sabbath is what he's saying then all of a sudden we want to start telling people what we think that means. I would say we ought to just shut up. Sorry if that's too blunt, but we should just shut our trap and let God do that kind of judging. Amen? I mean, we should guard it and protect it and consider it holy. The next one is in uh, Nehemiah 13, 15 through 19. Uh <clears throat> And he's, he's got some pretty strong things to say about uh, he, that he saw people uh, treading out the wine press on the Sabbath and bringing things in and out. And Nehemiah, if you remember, he's trying to build the wall. He's trying to rebuild the wall. Why? Because they just came back out of Babylon. And so they're trying to restore Jerusalem and build a wall. <laughs> you know, there's a wall around heavenly Jerusalem there's no wall around hell let that one sink in so he's trying to build the wall and they're trying to restore Jerusalem and Nehemiah and the prophets they see what's going on they just get back from from Babylon Jerusalem is starting to be rebuilt and what are they doing they're already breaking the Sabbath It's because of this that people like Nehemiah, Ezra, and others said, look, we're now going to pass a law. You ain't working on the Sabbath. And they locked the gates. And you know why they had to lock the gates? Because the people didn't want to obey the Sabbath and obey what God said, even though they had just gotten back out of Babylon. Even though they just saw the 10 northern tribes of Israel scattered 300 years prior to that and totally destroyed by Assyria. They're still like, don't care. We don't want to obey God. We hadn't changed one bit. Here we are, the great country of America, supposedly founded on Christian principles. We don't even, we don't even know what bathroom to go to anymore. We don't even know what a male and a female is. Uh, 
we, didn't, we can't even understand our own hypocrisy. That the tolerant are intolerant of intolerance. <laughs> it's, it's like we live in Alice in Wonderland. Um, we're, just, we're just no different. And so then here we are, supposedly a Christian nation. We've got tons of supposedly Christians in this country doing some of the most ungodly things we can imagine. And we just, we just carry on. So, <clears throat> this is what they're saying, and they're plotting to kill him, and Yeshua knows it. So he goes, well, let's just have a little talk. <laughs> so in verse 17, it says, but Yeshua answered them. I'm not seeing in here where they were really talking to him. Why? Yeshua knows what's in their heart, and he knows what's going on. He sees what's happening. He knows what they're saying, and so he answers them. My father works until now, and I work. Because of this, then, the Yehudim were seeking all the more to kill him. Why? Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, which he really wasn't breaking the Sabbath, he was breaking their Sabbath laws, but he also called Elohim his own father, making himself equal with Elohim. They understood what he was saying. When he said, my father is working up until now and so am I, and he was talking, and that was his favorite way of talking about the father as my father, my daddy, my Abba. It ticked them off. Because not only was he challenging their authority and challenging their Sabbath rules, but he was also considering or calling himself equal with God. So they were seeking all the more to kill him. These very leaders that were supposed to lead and teach the people the truths of Scripture actually planned to commit murder in order to stay in power and authority over the people. Their heart reveals the true problem that is in their own hearts. They are not actually led by or governed by the Torah, but rather use the Torah and their laws to govern others. That sounds eerily similar to today. They want to use murder and intimidation and a twisted form of Scripture to stay in power and continue to intimidate people. Hmm. So, therefore, Yeshua responded and said to him. So he responds to him again. We're not seeing in here where they're really saying this to him, but he knows what's going on in their hearts, but so then he's still speaking to them. This part is amazing. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son is able to do none all by himself, but only that which he sees the father doing, because whatever he does, the son also likewise does. So he's saying, <clears throat> that's that famous statement. You know, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, if you've heard me, you've heard the father. I, I only do the things I see my father doing. I only say the things I hear my father saying. Then look at this. Verse 20 says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself does. 
My heavenly father loves me and he's showing me everything that he's doing. And greater works than these he is going to show him in order that you marvel. I just healed a man on the Sabbath, made him get up and walk. That ain't nothing. You need to understand that God the Father is working through me and he is the prophet. They're not listening to him. And he goes, look, I know that you want to kill me, but you're about to see greater things. And the reason you're going to see these greater things, this, this is amazing, he says, so that you will marvel, so that you will look at it and go, what just happened? Yet that's not how they're really going to respond. And in verse 21 says, For as the Father raises the dead and makes alive, even so the Son makes alive whom He wishes. I mean, you talk about the people that say that Yeshua never claimed to be God, they're not really reading the same Bible I'm reading. <clears throat> Definitely not reading it in context. He's already claimed Himself equal with the Father. Now He's also saying, In the Father there is life, and the ability to give it to whomever he wishes, and he's given that to me. The same source. He gets even more clear with it. For the Father judges no one. He has relegated that authority, but has given all judgment to the Son, the one that's talking to you, the one that you're thinking about murdering. Hmm that all should value the Son even as they value the Father. He who does not value the Son does not value the Father who is sinning. You don't value me, you don't value God. You don't love me, you don't love God. That false teaching that all religions lead to God is a lie out of the pit of hell. He goes on, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, possesses everlasting life and does not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. <clears throat> so when does your eternal life start? <clears throat> Folks, it doesn't start after you die. That's very important to understand. Eternal life starts at the moment that you accept Yeshua as the Son of God and your Savior, God and King. And it shows that you actually do love the Father who sent Him to accomplish His will. And it says, He possesses, present tense, everlasting life. And then it says, He's not going to come into judgment, but has passed past tense, from the death that he was in and now into life. What happened to the lame man is possible for anybody that would receive Yeshua as their Savior without them having to do anything. It was free. But don't reject the free gift that was just given to you or something worse can come. So the free gift of Yeshua coming and dying on the cross and offering us salvation, and he's saying, you need to receive this lest something worse happen because when that day comes, there's not going to be a second chance. 
Verse 25 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of Elohim, and those having heard shall live. He said, it's now happening. Folks, he's talking to people that are dead and don't know it. Dead men walking and don't know it. And he's talking to them. And he says, but if you have ears to hear and will hear, you will live. But if you don't, you won't. Then look what he says in verse 26. This is the one that jumped out at me. He says, for as the father possesses life in himself, so he gave also to the son to possess life in himself. And he has given him authority to do judgment because he is the son of Adam, because he is the son of man. Now watch this. God becomes flesh and gives to the Son the very source of life that's within him. What is that? The image of God? The thing that he's also put into us? And he says, and he has put that source of life within Yeshua. What was it that Yeshua said and will say? I am the way, the truth, and the life and what you already know the passage and no man comes to the father but how you can finish it except through me he's the one way and he's the one way to life and life everlasting because life everlasting he is life everlasting so to have that you have to have him and then he becomes part of us and he renews us and now we have everlasting life it's not a matter of how long you live it's but with whom And it's forever when you're with him. But then I want you to see something because he says, and the father gave him the authority to do judgment. Why? Because he's not only God, but also man. He is a son of Adam. He is God who took on flesh. Therefore, he has the right, the legal right, the authority the knowledge, the power, and the position to say, this is wrong. You're either sheep or goats. Those are goats. These are sheep, period. No discussion. He tells us why. It's not that he's just God, but he, he, he became man so that he could also be our redeemer and judge. After all, we want to be judged by our peers because that only sounds fair, right? Imagine where that came from. And God is like, not a problem because I'm going to send a man and he's going to be the perfect one and my spirit's going to be in him. I'm going to be in him. He's going to pay the price for your sin So he will have total legal authority and right in everything to pass judgment. And when he does, end of discussion. No appealing, nothing. When it's pronounced, it's done. Then in verse 28, he says, Don't marvel at this because the hour is coming in which all those in the tombs are going to hear his voice. Well, guess what? That happened exactly when he died. Did you know that? What do you think he was doing for those three days? Sleeping in a tomb? He was very busy. 
Peter talks about it. He went down into the dungeons of hell and basically said, you kind of messed up, boys. Um, all of those angels, the watchers that were down there in prison trying to find a way out. <clears throat> and so all the demonic schemes to kill the Messiah killed him. And he ends up down there going, just the way we planned it. Perfect. Not quite done yet, because in three days I'm going to rise again. And this body that you thought might even decay, not going to decay. You see, you're not God. You don't know everything. And on top of that, you're limited by time and space, and I'm not. Not a smart move. He says they're going to hear his voice, and it says, and shall come forth <clears throat> those who have done good to the resurrection of life. He's just he's telling them the gospel message right here. And those who have practiced evil matters to the resurrection of judgment. Who's going to be the judge? He's going to be the judge. Judgment because of what? Because of all their evil deeds that they have been doing. Go right back to their dumb superstitions of this lame man lying by the waters, the religious leaders that should have explained to them, this is superstition, this is wrong, didn't do it. What did they care about? One thing, to continue to oppress and govern the people and stay in power. So Yeshua is basically saying, those that have been doing right will be resurrected to life. Those that have been doing what you're doing, if you don't change, resurrection unto judgment. And I just told you who the judge is. You're looking at him. Should have scared them, but they still couldn't understand what was going forth. Verse 30. Of myself, I'm unable to do any matter. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I don't seek my own desire, but the desire of the Father has sent me. If I bear, my, bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. If there is another who bears witness of me, I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. He's just basically saying, look, you don't even have to just go off on my own word. Because if I come and I say, hey, I'm all that, what does that mean? Not much. So what's he, and we'll see this pan out as we continue to study the book. But he's like, you look at my deeds Look at how I have fulfilled all these prophecies. And my Father in heaven testifies of who I am. My works testify of who I am. And, gets, and watch this, and he's about to show us here in the, at the, as we close this. Moses testifies of me. Yet you can't accept me because technically you can't accept Moses whom you say you do accept. The irony never stops. Um... Then he goes, you have sent to John, John the Baptist, and he bore witness of the truth. But I do not receive witnesses from man. But I say this in order that you might be saved. Is that not amazing? I've got this highlighted in my Bible. He's, why do you think I'm telling you? Listen to this. Let me say it Paul's way, okay? Why do you think I'm telling you all this stuff? I'm telling you all this so that you can get saved for crying out loud. I don't, I'm not coming here because I hate you and I want you in hell. I want you with me. I'm telling you this, and I'm trying to explain this to you so that you could be saved. Please turn and be saved. 
Verse 35, he says, he was a burning and shining lamp. And for a while, you wished to rejoice in that light. In other words, you thought it was kind of cool. But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works that the Father gave me to accomplish, the works that I do, they bear witness of me, that the Father sent me. I just told you that we were going to read that. And the Father who sent me, he bore witness of me. When did that happen? When he was baptized. And then we're going to see it again on the Mount of Transfiguration. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor his form. Whoa. And you do not have his word staying in you. Now he's calling them out straight up. He's not beating around the bush. He's not trying to paint some uh, obscure figure. He literally says, you don't, you don't, you've never even heard the word of God. You don't know what he looks like. And on top of that, his word is not in you. Ouch. And he says, because you do not believe him whom he sent. He's saying, look, I'm the barometer. Listen, folks, Yeshua is the barometer of everything. And he goes, this is how I know that the word of God is not in you. You've never heard his voice. You don't know who he is. You're of your father, the devil. And here's why. Because you don't believe in me. And then look, look at how he closes this down. You search the scriptures because you think you possess everlasting life in them. And these are the ones that bear witness of me. Now, just for reference, once again, what scriptures could he possibly be talking about here? Is he talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts through Revelation? That hadn't been written yet, right? He's living it. So he says, you search the scriptures out thinking that through them you possess eternal life. You know anybody like that? Here's what's going to sound weird to you. They turn the Bible into their idol. And also their search and pursuit of knowledge as the goal. The devil knows the Bible better than anyone in this room. You need to keep that in mind. He goes, you search the scriptures because you think that you will possess everlasting life in them. Yet these are the ones that bear witness of me. But you do not desire to come to me in order to possess life. Now, why is all that happening? <clears throat> because once again, Yeshua will not play their game. He's not impressed. He's not impressed with their superstition. He's not impressed with them changing the very word of God, adding to it and taking away from it. He's not impressed with their uh, traditional stuff. He's not impressed. <clears throat> and as a matter of fact, they're so in love with that stuff that he goes, you don't even have the word of God in you. Now, you have to think about that statement for a second. These are, he's talking to the Yehudim. The rabbis, you don't, you don't have the word of God in you that you cherish 
and kiss every Sabbath when they bring it out of the box. That very word isn't in you. It's in here. It's in your head, but it is not in you. You know it, but you use it like a tool. Just like pastors today in America, trained in the Word of God, publicly praying God would bless an execution of babies. And you think, how is that possible? Easy. When the Word of God is in your head but not in your heart and there is zero relationship. Zero. Because you cannot come face to face with a living God and have one ounce of pride in you. You cannot stand before a holy God and not think, woe is me. How can you even stand to be in my presence, God? I am so filthy. And knowing that, then how could we do anything to actually bring shame upon his name and claim that he would bless murdering babies for crying out loud? If you did that to an eagle egg, you would be in jail. But in America, if you do it to a baby, you're a hero. Why? Zero relationship. Filled with the knowledge of about Scripture, but not filled with the very Word of God. And zero relationship. Mm. <clears throat> Verse 41, I do not receive the esteem of men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. Do you know what? If another one comes in his own name, you're going to receive him. <laughs> well, we love praising each other, don't we? Look at what all we've done. He goes, how are you able to believe when you're receiving glory from one another and the esteem that is from the only Elohim, you don't even seek it? You have to remember now who he's talking to. It's very important. He's talking to the religious leaders of the day that are supposed to be teaching the Israelites the word of God because the Israelites were supposed to be, watch this, the light to the world. You ever heard that, that we Christians are supposed to, it was talked about today, we're supposed to what? Let our little what? Let our little light shine because we're supposed to be a light to the world, and we're not supposed to take our light and hide it underneath a bushel and all that. Well, guess where all that came from? It came from God telling the Israelites, you are to be a light to the nations and draw them to me. 
<clears throat> and he goes, you're, you're not able to believe anything I'm saying. And you know why? Because you're too eager seeking your own esteem, seeking your own glory, because you don't seek the glory of God. Because you see, to seek the glory of God, you're going to have to lay you down. The two don't mix. You can't seek your glory and the glory of God at the same time. It, it's impossible. It is oil and water. It will not mix. You cannot seek your own glory and the glory of God at the same time. You cannot. That's why God says in his word that he hates the pride of uh, the sin of pride. And to him, it's the same as witchcraft. Why? Because it's declaring that we're something special and that we're equal with God. And then look what he says. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father because there's one that's going to accuse you. Who is that? Moses. That's who you put your expectation in. The very word of God, the Old Testament. And you think that if you do all these things and you do all your rules and you keep beating people up with it, that somehow God is happy with that. It is amazing how deluded we are <clears throat> and how self-centered. Folks, this is the same stuff that's going on this very day, even in our country and around the world, even in churches, constantly. People putting so much faith in their, in their stuff. He goes, but I'm not going to accuse you. Who's going to accuse you? The Old Testament. Because it's all about faith. He goes, because if you'd have believed Moses, you'd have believed me. Why? Because he wrote about me. It's like Yeshua saying, how can you guys be so dense you don't see this? The whole Old Testament is describing me coming. And now I'm here. And you're wanting to kill me. Yet I'm the one that made you. And I'm the one that's dying for your sin. And, and you're my enemy. And I'm about to die for you. <laughs> he goes, but you know what? You really don't believe Moses. You say you do, but you don't. And proof that you don't is because you don't believe in me because Moses wrote about me. You don't even know I'm standing in front of you. He goes, but if you don't believe his writings, then how are you going to believe mine? Is that not amazing? What I want you to see in here <clears throat> over and over through this whole thing. Now, this is Yeshua's encounter and struggle with the rabbis, as you can see now, is escalating rapidly. He's not mincing words, but what I want you to see here, what he did say a number of times, I'm telling you all this, and all these signs you're about to see are for one reason and one reason only. My desire is that you be saved. but you're going to have to lay down you for that to happen. I want you to be saved. But if you don't even believe what's written in your Old Testament, 
then how are you going to believe my words? Because Moses wrote about me. And watch this. Everything Yeshua did, everything that he said, everything is fulfillment of everything that was written in the Old Testament. He's just living it out. Some men that are a lot smarter than me and able to do some things that I find difficult to map out have mapped out the things that <clears throat> Yeshua did in his miracles and stuff. And they've estimated that the things that he was saying on the days he was saying it, the miracles he was doing <clears throat> when he was doing it was on the same days when they were reading the very Torah portions dealing with what, what he was doing. And wouldn't that make sense? Of course it would. Because what? The Old Testament was written about him and he's the fulfillment of it all and they should have seen it. But they couldn't because they'd already made up a God in their own mind, in their own making, from the very Word of God, twisting it to make them feel good about themselves. Therefore, when the King of Kings shows up, they can't even recognize him. Folks, <clears throat> Yeshua loves you very much. Came to die on the cross so that we could have a relationship with him. But if you haven't figured out by now, I'm a pretty poor, uh, uh, what would it be called, uh, self-help guru. Um, Years ago, people told me that I probably had more the gift of being a prophet than a pastor because my messages were always hard. Uh, they are because I just keep trying to share what the Scriptures actually say in hopes that we would listen and prepare ourselves for His return. Because the one thing that scares me more than anything else was hearing my Savior say, why didn't you blank? So as far as on my watch, no matter what it costs me, I'm going to keep telling you what the truth is and what it actually says. I'll speak out against abortion with every ounce of strength I've got within me. I'm going to do my best to declare that my God is God and there's only one way. That all of your Bible applies to your life. And watch this. You can understand it without a seminary degree. You don't need a seminary degree to understand your Bible. That's a lie of the pit of hell. All you got to do is read it and believe what it says. That's it. Read it and believe what it says. And stop listening to these knuckleheads on the internet. Read your Bible. Pray. Read your Bible. And repeat. Ask God Almighty, the author of the book, to explain to you what it means. And you're going to be shocked to find out 
that you can read English. And it means what it means. And anytime it sounds confusing, remember, okay, it was translated. Maybe I should just dig a little. Because I know that my God is a loving God. He doesn't send angels down to stir waters and have fun seeing who can and who can't get in the water. He's not waiting on you to learn how to pray a certain prayer to get rid of that pain so that you can say the words just right. He wants to have a relationship with you. And the biggest obstacle to us having that is us getting in the way. Get out of the way. Embrace your God because He loves you. He loves you very much.